0: the sunday review with tim graham
1: hello and welcome to the latest edition of the sunday review claire de bono from travel tech company amadeus tells us what future travel may look like in 10 years time maggie stevens and ray white join me to talk about the art society east grinstead and catherine sayer and simon brown are here with news of the tandridge jobs fair on thursday the 9th of march claire cooper chats to carrie overton about training to be a dancer and the pressures she was under Claire Quinney finds out all about biodynamic massage from Amy Barnes, and Samantha Day chats to extreme adventurer Aldo Kane about his travels and experiences, all coming up in this edition. Now, you might not have planned your holiday for this year yet, but in ten years' time, we'll be travelling more sustainably, be worried about cyber security, and fear political instability limiting our travel options. That's according to new research from a leading travel tech company – To find out how new and emerging technologies will shape our travel plans in the future, I'm joined by Claire de Bono from Amadeus. Claire, thanks for joining us. What are some of the most exciting technologies that travellers could look forward to in 2033?
2: So we believe, um, and the research has really been uh, showing this, is that travel is going to be more personal, more intuitive, and a lot more smooth. Um, Technologies such as biometrics, touchless tech, virtual reality, um, super apps are going to make the experience of travel just better for everyone, everywhere. And um, uh, there were five particular different types of tech that most excited people, particularly around using data, virtual reality, apps, biometric, and also being able to pay for things using cryptocurrency um, or with facial recognition.
1: Was there anything in the research that particularly surprised you?
2: I was actually personally quite surprised about how much people thought that virtual reality was going to uh, move things forward in the next 10 years. 51% of travellers expect to be using virtual reality headsets for planning travel in 2033. And so travel businesses today are going to need to start thinking about how to incorporate this to make travel a reality. Um, I mean, I suppose I can see it really, you know, uh, if you've got VR um, previews, it can de-risk the buying process, try before you buy. If you're not sure what seat to take, what cabin to have on a cruise or, or you know how to go and use your time best when you visit New York, virtual reality could play quite a part in that.
1: Now, you touched on some of these earlier, but how will advancements in things like AI, biometrics and even the metaverse impact the travel industry in the next decade, do you think?
2: So with AI, I think it's really helping us Uh, start to have conversations with people in languages that they uh, are more used to using. I've been quite excited to see how chat GBT is meaning that we can not try and put our thoughts into a way that a computer could understand, but actually how uh, computers can now work more naturally uh, across natural language. Um, In terms of biometrics, I mean, if somebody had told me five years ago, I'd be paying for my coffee with facial recognition, i'd have loved but you know now we're doing it quite naturally and at airports biometrics speedy um boarding you know not having to pull out your passport and your um checking uh boarding pass every single time this is definitely all happening so i can really see things moving forward in the next 10 years to to just make things so much more smooth and sustainable
1: now, your research also touched upon cybersecurity. How do you think the travel industry will need to address concerns about that in the future?
2: Look, it's definitely something that the, um, the research highlighted. So uh, we need to balance being able to innovate and to provide that smooth experience with the concerns that people have got. So, you know, let's address them now to make sure that we're uh, equipped for the future. It was definitely quite interesting how some people were quite happy to share data if it felt meant that they got a much smoother experience. But others are certainly more concerned. So we need to empower travellers to be in control of what they share.
1: Now, I gather that the research suggested that we'll fall into one of four new global traveller profiles in 2033. Can you tell us a bit more about what these are?
2: Yes, so four Traveller Tribes, um, as uh, we describe them. So I don't know if you've uh, done the quiz yourself, but um, uh, the, the first one is the excited experientialist, which is me. Um, I'm a perennial optimist. I'm, I'm always looking for new experiences, um, things that are slightly unpredictable. Um, and then we've got the memory makers, and the second group, who are, have sort of more straightforward and honest motivations for travel. They want to uh, create memories, visit places. They prefer technology that they're more comfortable with um, and a less into adventure for adventure's sake. Uh, and then on the other end of the scale, when it comes to tech, we've got the travel tech fluencers who own more technology than any other traveler tribe they're quite career focused travel a lot for business and then the fourth group are the pioneering pathfinders so they still like adventure uh, but they're much more focused on the impact of uh, their travel on the environment and their communities and, and what that will mean for the world
1: and actually just talking about that how will sustainability continue to play a role in shaping the future of travel would you say
2: As an industry, we have to come together to make travel much more sustainable. We know that travel is an enormous force for good in society, um, but we need to empower travellers to make those environmentally sustainable choices that they want. Uh, As a good friend of mine says, we, uh, we need to enable people to make their mark without leaving a footprint.
1: Fantastic. And where can people go to find out more about some of the topics we've talked about today and do that quiz?
2: So I encourage you to go to amadeus.com where you can find out all about the tech trends that are going to be um, happening in travel for the next 10 years, but also do the quiz and find out which of the traveller tribes that you fit into. So yes, go to amadeus.com.
1: That's great, Claire. Thanks so much for your time today.
2: Thank you. Lovely to speak to you, Tim.
1: And as a reminder, if you're curious to discover more about how technology may play a part in the future of travel and to take the quiz to find out which of the four traveller tribes you belong to, visit amadeus.com. That's amadeus.com. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. If you've an interest in various art forms such as painting, sculpture, architecture and music and you're interested in the history of human creativity and good design then the Art Society East Grinstead could be of interest to you. To tell us more about the organisation I'm joined by Maggie Stevens and Ray White. Thank you both for joining me. Maggie, if I can start with you, can you tell us a bit more about the society and its history here in East Grinstead?
3: Yes, of course. Um, we've been going in East Grinstead since 1985. Um, in those days, we were known as um, the uh, well, the, the National Association of Design and Fine to, Fine Arts, otherwise known as NADFAS. Um, we've been affiliated to our head office in all this time, but we are completely autonomous, do our own thing, decide on what we want to do, um, and um, we have. Been meeting um almost from the beginning in Checker Mead Theatre in East Grinstead, which is a lovely venue. It really is nice. It's a proper theatre. Um, well, any local people would know it pretty well, um, with a, st- a lovely stage and stalls and a circle. Um, and um that's where we meet. Um we meet every um second Tuesday in the month um for 10 months. We don't meet in July and August. People seem to be busy with um holidays and grandchildren then. Um, and um, this is the basic offering of our society, for which we charge £45 pounds, uh, a year currently. I mean, we obviously review that um, each, uh, each year, so that's just under £5 pounds a lecture, which we think is very, very good value. And the idea is that we meet together in Checker and we share um, the um, enjoyment of anything artistic. And we paint with a very broad brush. Our last um, uh, talk, which was fantastic, was about Banksy. Very amusing. Um, and uh, he cooperated by uh, actually then hitting the news the day after with <laughs> a, a new thing down in Margate. We
4: study or appreciate um, pretty much every aspect of uh, of fine arts. Um, uh, we had the lecture about Banksy. Um, we've also had... Um, uh, this year, we've had a lecture from um, the art of the uh, Bank of England. Uh, and next, it'll be a talk about the architecture of uh, Frank Lloyd Wright. So um, uh, we we've had uh, lecturers discussing the music of Mozart, Beethoven. Uh, we're looking forward to a lecture on Schubert quite soon with uh, live demonstrations on stage, of course. Um, so, yeah, as I say, it covers just about everything.
1: Now, right, as the membership secretary, can anyone come and join you? Do they need to contact you first or can they just turn up to one of your events?
4: We we ask that people get in touch with me uh, before the lecture because uh, we're we're obviously, as we meet in, uh, in Checker Mead, we have limited flexibility in seating. Checker Mead's a big theatre, uh, relatively speaking, with just over 300 seats but we never want to get to the situation where we have to turn people away. So it's quite simple to get in touch with me. Um, the website is uh, taseg.org.uk. When you log into that uh, in the uh, initial information area, you'll find um, information about the committee members, including myself with my telephone number. There is a contact us. Uh, a tab somewhere on the screen where you can send an email uh, directly via our secretary to me. Uh, people are very welcome to come along as a guest for a lecture. We do ask a guest fee of uh, £5, pounds, um, which is paid to me on the day in uh, and meet. Um, and if, as we expect, they will love what they've experienced and want to join as a full member, then uh, that £5 is knocked off their annual uh, subscription.
1: Now, I gather as well as organising lectures, you run a number of other activities throughout the year. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those are?
3: Um, Absolutely. Uh, We do two holidays a year. Um, Normally, um, one is overseas and one is um, uh, in the UK. Um, We're coming up to a holiday very soon, which we're very excited about. Uh, We're going to Holland. And it's been very much actually um, inspired by the Vermeer exhibition in Amsterdam, so we are going to do a few other things as well, but that's the main point of the the holiday. Later on in the year, we have our UK holiday, which is going to be in Lincoln, um, and we fix all sorts of um, outings of of artistic um, interest. And they're a lot of fun and I think it's great for people, well for everybody really, couples come, um, a lot of people come on their own and they can be sure that there's going to be a group of like-minded people, we always um, eat together in the evening, we stay in reasonably nice hotels Um, and it's a lot of fun Um, and it's a very nice way of having a holiday. Uh, we also do some outings, uh, um, and uh, we've got, uh, we did a quite a funny one uh, last week. Uh, we went down to Chichester by coach, and we saw Pride and Prejudice, Sort Of, uh, which we all rather enjoyed. I didn't know what to expect, but it was fun. So we do theatre trips. Before Christmas, we went to Glyndebourne. It was a, a, a Christmas concert, which was fantastic. What wasn't so fantastic was the journey home, which took about six hours because the snow came down. Um, but we're a friendly bunch and nobody complained and they were all very stiff upper lip and so that was a lot of fun as well. Um, but we've got another a lot of, uh, of outings coming up. We're going to um, Leighton House and Holland Park later in the year. We're going to go to the British Museum. We're going to have a guided tour of the Elgin Marbles. We try to be fairly joined up in some of these things because we have a lecturer called Steve Kershaw, who we all think a lot of, and he came down to talk to us at one of our monthly meetings about the Elgin marbles. Um, and we've actually to persuade him to actually take us around and look at the, at the real thing in the British Museum. So I think that's going to be a lot of fun. We also arrange special interest days twice a year. Now, this is an opportunity to spend a bit longer going into subjects because we have a whole day. Actually, it's a fairly short day at the Ark in Turner's Hill. Um, it consists of three hour long lectures uh, with a splendid buffet lunch and a glass of wine. And in fact, we've got one coming up on the 22nd of March when Gavin Plumley is going to come and talk to us about the two Gustavs. That's Marla and Klimt. Fan uh, de siècle of Vienna. I think that's going to be a real goodie because, you know, pictures and music as well. And we've still got a few spaces. So if any of your uh, listeners are interested, just go onto our website, have a look, and uh, fill up the form. So you can see that there's quite a difference, some of those quite serious things, and some much more lighthearted. So we'd like to think that we appeal to everyone.
4: Also on the website, uh, you'll find details of all the forthcoming lectures to the end of 2023. Uh, And also uh, reports on previous lectures. One of our members uh, writes a short uh, description or a short discussion of the lecture or indeed holidays or other events. And that's then put on the website as well. So it's quite simple for people to have a good oversight of what we do, what we have done and what we've got coming up.
1: Brilliant. Now, as well as running all these lectures and activities, I gather you also run several specialist groups as well. Can you tell me a little bit more about those?
3: I think the main one is what we call our Young Arts Programme, Um, and we have a member of the committee um, who is responsible for this, and we... um, allow a certain amount of money each year by where we can make grants to encourage um, young people in the in the arts, you know, either to appreciate them to perform them um, or whatever. So we've actually um, done quite a lot in local schools. Uh, We've provided sort of musical instruments, we've um, helped uh, with um, shows and things like this. So uh, we like to take an interest in in the young people, particularly. So that's quite important to us. Um, The other thing that we have done is church recording. I'm not quite sure where this is going in the future. It was something that was sponsored by uh, the Arts Society head office. They no longer sponsor it. We have just or our little team have just actually completed um, a recording of one of our local churches, St Mary's. And the idea is that the team go in and they have a look at all the treasures of the church and they note them and they photograph them and they generally sort of uh, record what, what is there. And then they produce really a rather lovely uh, book, which we then hand to, to the church. So it's a lovely thing to do. And it is very much part of our ethos that we do something like that. Uh, but I'm really not sure um, where this is going in, in, in the future.
1: Well, it really does sound as though there is something for everyone and a lovely sociable group as well.
3: We do actually like to think that we're a very friendly society, and the important thing is sharing these experiences, coming together uh, to share them. Um, Checker is such a lovely place for this. We do encourage people to come a bit early on the day of our lectures. The lecture starts at 11 o'clock each time, very promptly, although they do have to listen to me for 10 minutes or so first with notices and and announcements. Um, We have a pianist who plays for us in the theatre, but people, we've got a coffee bar uh, Check meet, So people can come and meet their friends and have a cup of coffee um, and have a chat. And I think this is really, really important um, that uh, we continue to do this because the whole ethos of the society is sharing the enjoyment um, of the arts. Um, and in this connection, as a hangover from Covid days, we do actually uh, Zoom most of our lectures so that those who really are not able to come out can watch at home. Um, We probably get about 40 a month now of doing that at home, don't we, Ray? It's Um, something like that. We very much encourage people to come to the theatre because that's what it's all about. But we're very keen, obviously, to accommodate all our members.
1: That's brilliant. Maggie, Ray, thanks so much for telling us more about the Art Society in East Grinstead today and uh, good luck with all your future events.
4: Thanks very much, Tim. Thanks, Tim.
1: If you'd like to find out more about the Arts Society East Grinstead, go along to one of their events, or are interested in becoming a member, you can visit their website at taseg.org.uk. That's T-A-S-E-G org U-K. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. If you're currently on the lookout for a new job or change of career, there's help at hand this Thursday in Oxford. The Tandridge Jobs Fair is being held at the council offices and is being run in partnership with the local job centre and the Department for Works and Pensions. To tell us more, I'm delighted to be joined by Councillor Catherine Sayer from Tandridge District Council and Simon Brown from the Department for Works and Pensions. Thank you both for joining me. Simon, if I can start with you, tell us more about the idea behind the Jobs Fair and the partnership with the local council.
0: Hi, thanks, Tim. Yeah, basically, I mean, the the Job Centre works with a number of businesses, um, local businesses. My job is to reach out to those businesses and uh, to support our residents and our customers about, you know, what jobs are available, what vacancies are available, and who needs our help and support, you know, the DWP and and Job Centre Plus do a number of um, opportunities locally. Uh, and job fairs on the back of the pandemic, um we have had a number of vacancies that need to be filled, a number of customers that want to fill those vacancies. So, it's my job to make sure you put those uh, two. Um, together and uh, Tandru is no different you know and they reached out to us they're working with a lot of local support groups uh, job clubs um, and there's a number of residents that wanted to uh, be supported in the local area uh, and business as well so um, with our displacement uh, our Ukrainian families that are resident obviously locally and um, yeah so that's where it basically came about. So what can people expect at the event itself? The event itself um, is open to everybody, so you can book in if you need to. I hope you've seen one of the flyers that have been in and around, obviously on social media. Um, you can just turn up. Um, you know, we've got uh, over 20 employers on site, covering all different sectors that Tandridge have got to offer. There's some fantastic businesses. You know, it's a great area to live in. It's a great area to work in, and um, you know, just like stats locally, there's over a thousand jobs available in Tandridge. Um, hopefully, most of the sectors are all covered, from logistics, warehouse, teaching. Uh, nursing, social work, so I hope you've got, got, got a broad
1: range Obviously, vacancies that are, are, uh, be available to anyone who wants to turn up. You mentioned quite a few sectors there what sort of employers will be there on the day then? Uh, that's a really good question
0: um you know we've got employers have got vacancies we've got employers that want to obviously um talk about their careers career paths um people on universal credit we talk about abc which got about a job a better job and career and local businesses are really investing in their staff and new staff that are coming through which is great to see because they want to keep those staff they want to educate those staff and you know with the cost of living obviously wages are on the increase as well so it's a great time obviously to look for a job or even a better job
5: um in terms of the Local employers that we've got coming. Um, we've got places like uh, Lingfield Racecourse, uh, Flower Farm, which is a big um, a, a farm shop. Um, we've got various, we've got JD Weatherspoon, we've got various care providers, hospitality, other hospitality providers. So it's, it looks like quite a good lineup, more than 20 employers and um, quite a lot of jobs on offer. So it's the first time we've done this, Tangier District Council, and we're hoping to do more afterwards, because this is quite, um, quite a rural area, we haven't got any big towns, but we've got lots of people there I think who would like to work locally, and a lot of people commute out, so it would be nice really to, to make it clear that there are jobs here uh, that you might want, and you can work close to home, so um, a bit of a new, new departure for us, but, but something we're very keen to pursue.
1: Now, you mentioned earlier about Ukrainian families. Is there going to be provision then for those who perhaps have language barriers or additional needs in finding jobs and getting back to work? Yeah, that's a really good question, Tim. Um, yeah, so we've uh, booked in the uh,
0: National Career Service that we, have, uh, uh, we work with very closely at the Job Center, and um, they have a, uh, um, a job sector satisfaction called Making a Difference, and they've actually been um, hiring Ukrainian, obviously, translators, um, That'll be on site, so they'll be able to support the companies as well as any Ukrainian families that want to come through. I know, Catherine, the Tandridge Council have also got their uh, support network there for ta- for Ukrainian families as well, haven't they?
5: Yeah, we have indeed. Um, as you say, we've got a Ukrainian and I think a Russian translator,
0: yeah so when uh, when, uh, when anyone attends on the day there will be staff and support there if you want to speak to someone one to one about obviously the worries about returning back to work because there are lots of schemes available about childcare costs uh, we talk about access to work if you do have any disabilities or any issues about returning back to work you know there's you know, there's government pots of money that people can dip into which we can talk about on the day um, around how to obviously get those and for the businesses as well if they need support around that we've done a number of seminars uh, locally for business to, to to make them aware of these pots of money and also as i said before about the flexible support fund for people obviously returning back to work have they got any barriers to work um so uh, you know we're kind of negate obviously those issues
1: that they may have so tell us when and where exactly the event is taking place
5: okay it's on on the 9th of march and it's at Tandra district council offices and they're in Oxted um there's a high street called station road east very easy to find lots of signs directing you there uh, it's from 9 to 1 o'clock, and, there, and we're opening up all the ground floor of Tandridge Council, so no problem accessing it. If you can't get there by um, under your own steam, there is a free bus service that's being run by East Surrey Rural Transport Partnership. Uh, that's just for those who live in the Tandridge District. Uh, you can book a ride up until midday on the 8th of March uh, by calling, I might as well give their phone number, 07708. 127861, and they will take you to the job fair, providing you live in the Tandridge district.
1: Fantastic. Now, can people simply turn up, or do they need to let you know that they're coming in advance?
5: Yeah, they can simply turn up, or you can book, I think, via the Red Hill Job Centre, which is the nearest one to us, or via, there's an Eventbrite link as well, which uh, you can find if you Google it. Uh, but, yes, you can turn up. The one thing it's probably a good thing to do, although again, you don't have to, is to bring your CV, however uh, ropey you might think it is, it's worth bringing along because there are going to be advisors there to give you some tips and advice on how to make the best of your CV, how to add, th- add to it and, and make it look attractive to would-be employers. So it's well worth bringing what you've got and, um, and seeing what you can do with it there and, and get that advice.
1: Now, obviously, you've got this job fair coming up. What other resources are available and uh, what other initiatives are each of you running to support local job seekers and businesses?
0: Yeah, so, yeah, that's a really good question, Tim. Um, you know, the, I mean, anyone who's on Universal Credit can speak to their work coach about any help and support so that, that they need. That any kind of obviously job that they're looking for, you know, we have pots of money can we- can dip into flexible support funds. You know, there's a number of job centre initiatives that we try and even, you know, uh, try and if there's a skills shortage, obviously with some of these employers as well, but we know obviously, you know, the intensive training programmes um, that they have. But also we talk about apprenticeships as well. You know, they really come to the forefront. Really good way of people obviously who are not maybe good at uh, learning for the normal methods um, of uh, learning a trade or, or, or a discipline or whatever. And, um, you know, uh, these companies are actually...
1: Um, you know have got some really good opportunities with their apprenticeship schemes fantastic well simon catherine thanks so much for your time today and good luck with the jobs fair
5: okay many thanks tim
1: cheers so thank- much tim as a reminder the tandridge jobs fair takes place at the council offices in Oxted on thursday the 9th of march from 10am until 1pm if you have a cv don't forget to bring some copies along with you for more information about the job fair, you can visit tandridge.gov.uk, that's tandridge.gov.uk, and click on the link on the homepage. If you can't get to Oxford by car, public transport, or on foot, East Surrey Rural Transport Partnership is providing a free bus service to and from the fair. You can book a ride up until midday on Wednesday, the 8th of March, by calling 07708 127 861. That's 07708-127861. We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On Wellbeing Weekly on Tuesday, Carrie Overton found out from Claire Cooper about her experience training to be a dancer and the pressure she was under.
6: My mum took me to a ballet class when I was about three or four. I did that for about six months. I was a little bit heavy-footed. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> loved it. But then things happened. I stopped that. And then I, we moved. And I started disco, Latin American and ballroom. <gasps> and I loved it. Right. Loved it. So, as soon as I started that, yes, I was one of those kids who did not stop moving and wanted to dance and perform all the time. And so, through doing that, was that like competitions and things uh, like that? You could do competitions. I didn't do so many. I did exams. So I just did all the exams. I did that from about eight to about 14. Then I decided I wanted to dance. So it was with Peggy Spencer. Um, She had a dance center. So then I wanted to be a student teacher. So they started me training, doing that. So I had my own class. So I was doing my exams, but I was also training the little ones through their disco and their first Latin American exams, which was brilliant. So I did that. They did their exams, which was brilliant. Then I got into the Brit school, um, which meant that I stopped doing Latin American because my hours, I just didn't have the time. Um, because I think once you go to a place like that, you kind of invest, you put everything into it, you do mm. spend all your time there, which mm. is what I did. So how how do you even get into the Brit school? What do you have to do? So we're going back a few years for me, so yes. it's slightly different now. Mm. So I went, I did my GTSEs there, so I went at 14. Right. Um, so you just have an interview when you're 14. Um, they just talk to you about why you like whatever it is your subject is mm. so for me dance at the time mm. um what do you like about dance what do you do outside of school uh what how does it make you feel those kinds of things um and i got through the interview so i got the place did um, you have to perform in your no, interview no at 14 and I, i'm not sure if it's the same now but at 14 you don't have to right at 16 so you you go for two years and then if you want to stay on and do your a levels you then have to audition so even if you're there and they've right. had you for two years, you have to audition for your place.
7: So potentially, somebody at 14 who
6: believed that they were
7: an amazing singer could have stood there and said, singing is my world, mm. it is everything to me, and actually
6: yeah. can't sing, the but school, that's
7: not what it's about. Yeah,
6: the school is about giving everybody an opportunity. Wow. So you know, anyone, anyone who's got money can pay for these things, can have a singing teacher, can go to every class ever. The idea of the Brit School is that it, there are so many kids that are missed You know, we couldn't, I could go to my dance class once a week. I couldn't have gone to a dance class every day. I couldn't Mm. have done musical theatre and couldn't have done tap and singing at that point. Mm. You know, just wouldn't have happened. Mm. So their idea is to offer the opportunity because you'll miss that. You'll miss talent, you know, raw talent that you you didn't realise. So, yeah, the idea is if you if you are passionate, if you really want it, if you talk about working hard and, I suppose they look at your grades, obviously. I Mm. I imagine, so so long ago, Um, but yeah, it's about you. They take you on. So then you have two years of training, and it was a real mix—a mix of people, where people came from, you know, how what their levels of of you know dancing was. Some people had never done anything but danced in their living room. Some people had been at ballet three times a week and were amazing but it was about how much you put in right um so a real work ethos absolutely yeah 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 we talked briefly Mm. earlier about fame school yeah there is an element of that i remember sort of i used to get there so early i was very lucky my dad worked around the corner so i got in. but i used to get there really early and lots of my friends did and we would perform sort of outside the canteen oh my gosh that is honestly (laughs) it was amazing you'd sit at lunchtime on the field and someone would be with a guitar and you'd all be singing along or the music um classes would be just playing a tune everyone would start singing it was a bit like that but people worked hard and you had to do your regular studies as well so i did all my gcse's there Um, so you had to break it up you had to be disciplined you had to be organized and you soon noticed the ones who It's definitely what they wanted to do. And the ones who thought it was a fame school and were just going because, you know, they wanted to play around and not actually go to school, if that makes sense.
7: I mean, you describe a scene of everyone sitting and loads of music going on and it's all very, lots of camaraderie. Mm. But
6: I imagine there was a lot of competition. Right, so I, after the Brit... I then went to a vocational school and studied dance and musical theater at a place called London Studio Center. Mm. That's where it kind of kicked in. The the Brit School, it's such a nurturing place. You do support each other. There there was always an element of, if there was a part for a production, Mm. you'd have that sort of, you know, I I want that part. Mm. So there was a little bit there. When you're at Studio Center, you're kind of guided. You need to do this, you need to do this. If you want to go out in the real world, you have to do this. Um, so much more disciplined in that sense and a lot more um, challenging Uh, 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 suddenly you're being looked at not just your technique but your physique Uh, you know everything is judged you're judged most definitely
7: and what impact did that have on you and friends and sort of you know co-students there
6: I would say that Again, you're still you're still part of a team. When you're dancing, you're you're sort of touching each other's bodies. You mm. have to you have to have that trust and that respect. Mm. So you have that. But at the Brit School, again, you're kind of friends with everybody. You're kind of, you're mixing. Everybody wants to help everybody out. You know, the drama students will come and sit with you, and if if you need a bit of help with something, they'll guide you, or whatever. When we moved on to London Studio Centre. Um, People are out for themselves. You do still have that group thing, but friendships are harder, I would say, Mm -hmm. harder. Um, Mm. You you do end up competing with people that you absolutely love. I mean, Mm. in my final year, you did a showcase. Mm. And there were 30 of us. I was in the musical theatre strand. So in the third year, you split off into strands. Mm. And in other schools, obviously I knew people from other schools, Mm. all 30 people got to do a showcase. So that's in front of agents. So it gives everybody an opportunity. So you get a minute to sing you do a dance routine and you do a monologue or something. So you, you get to show yourself off a tiny bit, but you all got it. Where I was 14 of you got it. So you had to fight for places. And then it, you, you, you then start to argue with people, you know, people, some, some of the guys in the, in the group already had agents, for example, right. then they got a place in the showcase and you'd be like, but some of us don't have agents some we could have that place and so that becomes really tough and you kind of have to you have to let things brush off you that I found that particularly hard I take things to heart I I'm you know quite a a softy yeah I found that was the hardest thing for me
7: was that the same if you went for auditions and things like that I mean it it seems quite a brutal profession.
6: Yeah, it is. And I, I mean, again, we're going back quite a few years now, so I can only speak for what, I, what I've yeah. done. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd turn up. If you were lucky enough to have an agent, you'd get you'd get a slot that you'd turn up to and you're actually seen at that time. Yeah. If you didn't have an agent, you'd queue. So sometimes you'd queue for five hours, you'd get up at five o'clock in the morning, or you'd yeah. queue at five o'clock in the morning, not get up at five, and you'd queue. Initially, it would start and they'd say, Bring a pop song and, and sing it to us. And then, you know, five hours later, can you just sing the verse and the chorus? Or can we just have the can you just sing somewhere over the rainbow? Because that's yeah. all we've got time for. You'd sing and they'd go, thanks. And the only time you'd know if you had had or hadn't got the part was when you saw the cast perform you know you realize you didn't get it because you you weren't standing on the stage doing it so so you don't get feedback rarely very right. rarely in my experience very rarely
7: so that must be hard to sort of progress and because you yep. know
6: in the normal world
7: yeah if you go for <laughs> if you go for a job interview yeah. you can ask for feedback absolutely and, and learn from that yep. so that's in such a competitive area you and you all your I suppose
6: hopes and dreams, yeah. as with most jobs, are pinned on that, to just get nothing is Absolutely. really hard. Yeah, d- definitely brutal. You walk out and you think, well, you know, after two weeks, you forgive. if you haven't heard, yeah. you haven't got it okay. after two weeks. And then you think, right, well, I don't know where I went wrong. So then you start sort of judging yourself. Well, it must be this or it must be that. You know, And a lot of it is based on, will the costume fit you? If you've got a lead guy who's five foot eight and you're six foot, chances of you being the lead girl are slim to none because generally you know visually the guy generally sits higher than you know that kind of thing if you're a chorus line if you're you know four foot and and everybody else in the chorus line is five foot eight you're not getting in that chorus line so it, it can be things that you have no control over yeah but instead of thinking of those things you do tend to start picking it yourself yeah you know Am I not, you know, am I not singing well enough? Am I, am I not dancing? Am I too big? Am I too small? It, it's horrible because you're being judged on you. Yeah. You know, rather than your qualification, if yeah, you like.
7: Absolutely. What were the mental health implications for you and your fellow students of, of living with that sort of scrutiny, particularly of your body shape and yeah. size?
6: I mean, I, I would say I still think about things like that now. Right. It's stuck with me. Um, some of my friends uh, would do things, especially so in at London Studio Centre, you could do musical theatre, ballet, contemporary dance, or jazz. So we have ballerinas who we all know have to look a particular way. Mm. And some of the girls from those classes, I'd find them, you know, eating toilet paper in the changing rooms yeah. because it would expand <laughs> in their tummies, um, or so they thought, and so they didn't need to eat food. I mean, it was quite. Wow. And it's not everybody, you know, and, and I must stress that. It wasn't everybody, you know, some people were... I think I think it just depends on the person. Mm. So for me, as I said, I take things, I take things to heart. Mm. I was in a ballet class once, um, and my ballet teacher, a male teacher, said, oh, have you had breakfast? And I sort of nodded. He went, did you swallow the bowl? Ooh. You know, and you think that's in front of all my friends. Mm. Um, and for him, it was a bit of banter. For me... You take that home, yeah. you, you start overthinking it for some of my friends, and I definitely had a couple of friends who went down quite a dark path mm. because of it mm. um I think that 's the way it is we had you 'd wear your ballet leotard and tights, and a teacher would come along sort of poke you in the side of your mm. you know your, your backside mm. to make sure that you 're squeezing everything in and tighten and everything in and if you weren 't they'd sort of let you know that you weren 't that you had a bit that was baggy or whatever right. you know and you know, especially at that age, you're, so, you're talking, some people went at 16, I was 18. That age, being told that, it, it sticks, yeah. it, it, it's quite hard, it's quite hard.
7: Was there much emotional support? No, right. no. Uh,
6: individual teachers, yes. Individual teachers who had been through that process, mm. um, some of them were wonderful and mm. you could go to those people. You got to know the the teachers that were really supportive mm. Um, and you also got to know the teachers that wanted, you know, they, they were disciplined and they they were after something at the end. They wanted, mm. it was all about the end to them. Well, like a sort of, pro, like you were, you were a product. Yes, they, so they expected you to be, because you were representing them. If you were on the stage, mm. you know, doing a performance mm. and, you know, their name is at the top of the paper, so you knew it was their choreography, they wanted it perfect. So, yeah, it's definitely hard going, I would yeah. say. And with confidence with the auditions and things, you know you get knocked back knocked back eventually you start to question as I said earlier why why mm. are you getting knocked back and rather than going oh it must just be because you know they wanted someone slightly taller you don't you start to think you know what's wrong what's wrong with me right. what, what what have I done what, what 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 am I not good at what am I you know you start thinking you're not good enough mm. so you have to be really strong mm. for me I mean I I stopped auditioning because I got married and fell pregnant mm. and that was it. I don't know if I would have carried on too much longer anyway. Right. Because, because of, of that. that. Yeah, right. because you have to be strong. You have to be able, you have to be able to just brush it off. You have to be that person and you either are or you're not. Mm. And you have to. There's no two ways about it. You have to be able to go, it's not me. It's fine. Yeah. I just wasn't right for it next yeah. time. I'm still great. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And
7: and that's very hard to do in yeah. you know in in any in any position, yeah. isn't it? Any job that well, you're going for. we all for. have to
6: do that. There is an yeah. element of that for everybody. Mm. But I think when it is about, as I said, you're, you're, it's a, they're looking at you. So it's your face. Mm. It's, it's your hair. It's your body. It's mm. things you can't check. When it's a, a bit of paper, your qualification, and you're up mm. against someone else and they are just better qualified, mm. it kind of makes sense in your head. Mm. But when they're going, well, no, you're just, you're just not quite, mm, mm. you know, because of how you look, yeah. you start to think, oh, no.
1: Claire Cooper was chatting there to Carrie Overton. You can hear the full interview, including details about Claire's current role as a Zumba teacher, on our Listen Again page on meridianfm.com. A couple of weeks ago, on our Friday Success Express show, Claire Quinney spoke to Amy Barnes about the business she runs, offering biodynamic massage therapies.
8: The biodynamic bit, so we break that down, bio, biology. Right. Right, so what's going on in the body, um, so everything to do with that. Metabolism, balance, flow, cycles—all of those things, right? right? Yeah. And the dynamic part is saying, well, all of that really is in flow, isn't it? Is in flux, is yes. always kind of moving and changing and changing, right? So, so the biodynamic bit is really talking—you know—is in reference to, to that. The the massage part of it is because a lot of the work is hands on you know, on the body and through the body. And so it's called massage. And some of it is classically you what you would relate to as a massage.
9: massage. So some of it is, but not all of it.
8: Not all of it. And we also work with pure sort of energy. So we also work off the body. So it's a little bit like Reiki. So, you know, even the massage bit is not entirely all of it, as you would expect, uh, hands on. And then the therapy part of it is, um, although it is a complementary therapy, but really, you know, it, it really requires more than one visit. Right. Um, so so from that point of view, you know, the therapy part of it is suggesting that, you know, most people get uh, more out of it by, you know, having a series of treatments. The
9: treatments. How did you come to be here now Doing this particularly,
8: yeah, I mean, great question. And you know, um, you know, growing up in Hong Kong and having Chinese parents, you know, being a massage therapist really was last on the list, you know, of desirable occupations, right? Uh, so, yes, it's, it's a million miles away, right, from what was expected in terms of what I would go into. So, what was expected? Yeah, so, you know, over time, um, what what happened was I was kind of involved in a lot of, like, organisation work and change, and I realised I didn't really understand anything about change. Yeah. And that, you know, by some sort of twisted path took me down to therapies. So, I was training to be a gestalt psychotherapist, And I worked uh, part of my training. I was working as a psychotherapist in training and I realized so much of talk therapy as great as it is. And I absolutely mean that Mm. I just felt there was something missing.
9: And that was the physical element. And that was the physical element. Because the rest is talking, isn't it? Yeah.
8: Yeah. And I think that, you know, we are so, you know, some of it in terms of how we feel really in the body it's not even, it's hard to put into words. Yes. Because they're feelings.
9: Yes. Exactly. They are sensations. And people, and people don't express them, do no. they? And they actually don't often find the words right. to be. Right. And it's really
8: them. hard to find the, the right words. Or that, you know, we, we express it, we, we, we talk about it, but that becomes a story of what's really going on. So there is something about the internal world, you know, in our bodies that I think is just so crucial. Um, and that's what really got me connected back to the body because I was a dancer and everything. So I was always really very in my body anyway. Yeah. But this this really kind of put me back into connecting with the body and wanted to work with the body um, in a different way. And, and you know, as luck would have it, um, I, it was a big birthday. I can't remember exactly which one it was now. I won't talk that. about that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was clearing a cupboard. And I'd had biodynamic massages before um, when I was training to be a Gestalt psychotherapist. So I was clearing the cupboard, and the magazine from the association just fell out. It fell out of the cupboard.
9: Synchronicity.
8: Yeah. And I thought, gosh, this is really amazing. And I thought, wow, great, you know, biodynamic uh, treatments. So I'm going to look into it. And lo and behold, they had a, um, an open weekend um, in in Cambridge.
9: Right.
5: And
8: I went along to the weekend and I remember there was only like two or three of us actually in the taster weekend. And that I but had that's never really
9: good because there's yeah. a small number of people. It's very focused. Isn't Absolutely.
8: It? And I had never, ever stood in front of a massage table as a massage therapist because it was the last thing on my mind in terms of what I was going to do. And as soon as I walked up to the table, the voice, there was a voice inside of me that said, this is my work. And it was so clear.
9: So for instance, if you've got somebody who, at the moment we're talking a lot about mental health, aren't we? Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a lot of people seeing counsellors, which is very much a speaking thing. But we don't know what effect those experiences that they have gone through are actually affecting them physically.
8: Right? Is that? Yeah, that's yes. absolutely, absolutely spot on. And in the counselling and psychotherapy communities now, um, there is greater awareness and appreciation. Of link, yeah, of, of, of a, the connections. Of, um, and I have referrals. Yeah. You know, from counsellors, from psychotherapists, um, suggesting to their clients that they come to biodynamic and get some biodynamic massage because therapy Because in many sessions. ways, it's completing
9: the circle, isn't it?
8: It is, very much so. And In a particular case. Yes, and people are always so uh, amazed uh, when they do finally sort of access things in the body that they, 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 they just sort of think, well, actually, I thought that was done, or I thought that was resolved. Um, and then they're really kind of in touch with what's really there um mm. and 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 so that that last bit of completion if you like or yes. or um it's sort of being able to just melt it let, let go of yes you know whatever is there and let that melt away yes it's
9: almost to me i'm getting a picture in my mind it's like the body is a siphoning system like the like the liver the kidneys that clears all the the rubbish out of the body when something happens to us not all of that rubbish is almost like pouring mm-hmm. t- tea into mm-hmm. a tea strainer. Mm-hmm. Not, you get the tea, the water coming through, but you get something left in the strainer. And the body holds on to that stuff. And that's what can cause all sorts of physical. Yeah.
8: And and, and that, you know, what you're talking about, there is a, a really well-known book. Um, oh. Yes. And it, that book is called The Body Keeps the Score. Wow. So yeah that's absolutely s- wow. spot on. So okay. and and a lot of us you know we our primary language is not verbal. Yes. Our va- our primary language right is one of feelings or through the body is more kinesthetic, more yes. through the body. Yeah. And so so that you know honoring that, uh, appreciating that.
9: Yeah.
8: Um and finding you know validity and expression
9: it's really, uh, is yeah, really it's really really key. Important. I'm really interested, interested to dig a bit deeper into some of your clients. Mm. Tell us about the sort of stuff they've presented with and how the therapy has worked.
8: So I i, I want to start by saying if that's okay, you know, how I work really, what, what that's all about and I think that that will then make the 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 case I'm about to, to share maybe a little bit more kind of understandable so whatever someone presents with I I really see that as a as a an opening to get a sense of if if we really believe that we are everything like you know we are physical we are spiritual we are energy we are you know biological we are emotional we are experiences we're all of those things then whatever someone comes with whatever they present with is really a gateway to know out of all of those things right which are the the areas that require attention what are the things which stand in the way of them being able to move on from whatever it is that's happened you know in in the past right yes so so that's kind of really important to say um and you know like talk therapies you know the best thing about uh, being a good therapist is being able to listen and i i listen to people's stories and i always my hands are also there to listen yes you know m- my body is also there to to listen and when that happens their bodies convey uh messages and things that, that 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 person you know the client's body system really needs so i i sort of get a sense of what that is mm-hmm. uh, and, and I, sometimes i share that in the session and check it with them um sometimes it's very clear you know what's needed and i would share that with them and then if they are in agreement then we go and and you know and then i'll either provide that and or we'll do something together to, to enable whatever it is that needs to happen, happen. And so in this particular example, somebody was walking down the street and um, it was really icy and they tripped and fell face down, uh, face planted on on the pavement, right. which in itself was sort of bad enough and um, broke the nose. But being such a... A British thing to do. Um, very quickly, then got up, uh, dusted themselves oh, off. I'm as fine. Yes, we do, yes. <laughs> you know, I'm fine, the the I'm famous fine. phrase, I'm fine, everything's fine. An ambulance was called uh, by someone who sort of witnessed the, 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 the accident. Um, and, you know, subsequently they went to the hospital, had the nose, you know, um, and everything sort of attended to and felt like. I'm okay now um, and on recovery. So that was fine. Um, and then about two months after the accident, she then uh, f- saw and felt uh, probably size slightly larger than a, a pound coin, um, right. a, a, a lump that appeared on her forehead. And it, it was quite sore, but she couldn't really work out like what that was from.
9: Because there'd been no signs of there, it when she'd gone into hospital absolute, well, the original absolutely n- none injury. whatsoever yeah, right yeah.
8: Um, she also then was still kind of suffering from you know some of the her shoulders in particular her knees and and so on so there's just some discomfort around those those kind of areas, not just not quite right um, in those areas um and when I when I was talking to her and she was describing all these things, uh, it became obvious to me that somehow there was a tail end of that in that accident in her body yes. that needed to re- complete itself. It needed to complete that cycle of shock, really. Like some su- suddenly you know, something dramatic has happened mm-hmm. and the body is, is in shock um, and it didn't really have enough time for it to come down from the shock to then come to, to, to kind of write itself. So in her sessions, you know, initially, it was to to make sure that she felt safe right enough um, to be in the space with, with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got to the point where I felt, you know, we were ready. I called it an unwinding. Lots of people use that term. But it's kind of allowing your body to unwind itself from the... From the accident, from the trauma, yeah, yeah. it was kind of yeah. Again, quite clear to me that she needed to um, almost kind of put herself back into that position if she could remember um, of of the face plant, which she did. And um, and I said, look, okay, so now take your time, just feel within your body, you know, what's what your body needs to do, and allow your body to do what it needs to do yeah and that's what she did and i said look you know, don't don't push for anything don't don't kind of just do something because you think that's what you should do really wait wait for your body and if nothing happens and and you just need to lie there you know for a period of time then just allow that to happen so so before that i also worked very gently on that lump the my intention was really to bring some calm and soothing Mm. um energies into that area and also to to let the area know you know the emergency is over yeah it's over the body it's all the, right yes, yeah, it's, yeah everything's okay now um so yeah so after that session she felt a, a lot better she just felt that everything had righted itself the lump went away completely
9: and that was the amazing thing for me when you and said never that. came back and never came back my gosh
1: Amy Barnes from Biodynamic Massage Therapy in conversation there with Claire Quinney. You can hear the full interview on our Listen Again page on meridianfm.com. For more information about the work Amy does, visit biodynamicmassage.uk. That's biodynamicmassage.uk. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. On the Wednesday Breakfast Show this week, Samantha Day spoke to world-record-breaking extreme adventurer and former Royal Marines commando Aldo Kane about his travels and experiences.
10: I joined up the Royal Marines when I was 16, but before that I was in the Scouts, who, as I sit here at 45 having led quite a fulfilled and, and busy life out around the world. Traveling and, and on expeditions, I pretty much hold um the scouts responsible for for <laughs> making me become that type of between the scouts and the Marines to become that that type of person. Um so I think they they probably instilled that um sense of adventure and and also the quiet confidence you require to be able to not just survive but thrive in any environment and then Following on from that, the Royal Marines being a commando over the next 10 years took that to a whole other level. Now you've had some
11: pretty scary uh, things going on, haven't you?
10: <laughs> over the years only, uh, yeah, I guess having been traveling and leading expeditions for 30 for odd years, or, well 30 years, I guess, it's inevitable that you end up coming unstuck now and again. Um, so it's, yeah, a few times. You were held at gunpoint.
11: How scary was that?
10: Yeah, we we were filming uh, a few years ago with with drugs cartels in South America, and it was you know we were down there for three months on and off, and it, it was the sort of norm in a way that, that people carrying weapons and and drugs and, and and violence was was sort of the norm down there. And um, it, it's definitely one. In fact, it's probably the only job of all the jobs that I've ever done that I would say that I probably wouldn't like to do again just because of that pure unreliability of people with egos
11: and you hunted killer viruses how did you do that
10: so so i i should explain i i work in television and film now so i look after film crews that are operating around the world in extreme remote and hostile locations and it's like technical advising on whether it's diving or safety or security and i was working with a good friend of mine Janet Tobias on a a series, uh, it was actually a film in the end about um, emerging killer viruses and and Ebola was quite a big part of that. So 2014, I was down in West Africa uh, for the whole of the Ebola outbreak down there. I'm documenting with Janet and the team um for a document for a film actually and this formed quite a large part of it so it's um it's quite tricky you know my job is amazing and i get to you know from go from there to inside an active volcano to then just um a couple of months back paddling the length of the okavango delta in botswana with exodus travel so i'm kind of you know like the the expedition life the military part it all kind of uh form this nice little niche where i can get to travel i can get to see the world but i also get to look after people and get to help them achieve their dreams and their goals
11: now you actually have a guinness world record
10: i do in 2016 we were the first team to row from mainland europe to mainland South America. So we got in a rowing boat in Lagos in Portugal and we rowed for nearly two months um, across the Atlantic Ocean to Venezuela. Um, so that's, that's uh, we, we basically rowed 3,840 miles in 50 days, 10 hours and 36 minutes. Not that anyone was counting. <laughs> <laughs> Is there no stopping you, I ask? <laughs> um on on that sort of thing, it's it's uh, it's the same as lots of expeditions or war where, where 90% of it's fairly boring, tedious monotony of of doing the same repetitive thing over and over and over again mm-hmm. um, with about 10% of, of terrifying, capsizing at night, um, losing kit overboard, um, huge storms, big weather.
11: Now you led an expedition into the centre of one of the world's most dangerous volcanoes. Was that a choice or were you sort of engaged to do that?
10: They're always, I pretty much always say yes to adventurous jobs. Um, It was actually the first job that I was asked to lead the expedition for a television company uh, in 2010. Um, so a while ago, and, and I was asked to get a film crew inside Mount Gongo in the Democratic Republic of Congo. It's a bit of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> and it's it's the world's, at the time certainly, the world's largest lava lake. So when you get to the top of the volcano and you look down inside it, you, you see this huge lake that's hundreds and hundreds of metres wide. Perfect circle that's just a boiling cauldron of, of lava.
11: That, that must have been quite scary though.
10: At the time, yeah, I guess it, it, you know it's my job to look after people and to get them in and out of there safely and, and to bring them home and for us to film. So, in a way, there's a lot of responsibility. There, there's a lot of pressure. So, so there's a bit of fear that that comes from that. But also, if if, if people haven't ever been inside an active volcano, it's um it's pretty full on and intimidating, almost everything is out to get you the gas the bits of glass that are being blown around in the wind the um the huge variation in temperatures the hurricane force winds so it's it's a pretty full-on environment to to camp but then the guys who i'm working with are also got to try and film and document what we're doing in there
11: i mean there must be times when it's very stressful so how do you control that stress and your fear surely you do have fear
10: um, yeah, I mean, the, we could probably talk for hours on it. Yes, I get scared <laughs> in um, in certain circumstances. Um, fear isn't a bad thing. Uh, most people have some sorts of fear. Some of them are the same as everyone else, a, a fear of the unknown or, or an anxiety because of unknowns. Um, and others might be a phobia phobia specifically to them. But essentially, for me, in my line of work, it's, it's perfectly natural to feel... Anxious, worried or scared about something or the environment um, It's what you do with that information after that, that that either leads to a positive outcome or other. Um, so for me, dealing with with stress really is about controlling breathing, first of all, because if you can control your breathing properly. You can control your thoughts properly, which allow you to take action instead of reacting in a, a very uh, a reactive way. Sorry. So it's, uh, I guess on all expeditions that I've led, you always come up against some sorts of problems which require you to be able to just um, find some calm space and and make decisions, which is which is why actually Exodus um, Travels use me as as an expedition leader and also to, to curate trips for them is that. Um, that I have this vast wealth of experience, nearly thirty years of operating in some of the world's most remote, most hostile, and most extreme environments.
11: Now, you also got chased by uh, was it a rhino?
10: Yeah, m- myself and uh, my friend Foxy were, were out teaching anti-poaching uh, patrolling skills to to various different teams down in South Africa, and we ended up in a, a thicket um on foot uh unarmed and uh and we startled a couple of black rhino who who basically stampeded towards us the drillers, the drillers, you they have bad eyesight so you just basically have to stand still and 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 hopefully they'll career past you um, but they've got very good hearing
11: <laughs> and i understand that you could also you were that close that you could smell its breath
10: on the last expedition that i did in botswana um with Exodus, we we were paddling the Okavango Delta, um, the length of it. Yeah, we you would round the corner on a river, and you would see maybe ten, fifteen hippo in the water, and they all obviously disappear under the water. And you have to pull these these dugout canoes, these macaros, past them. And um, we ended up be, being lucky or unlucky. We, no one got injured, but we. Ollie Pemberton and I, the camera guy, had sort of got separated. We ended up with a, a hippo coming up in between us and sort of <laughs> heading heading towards the boats, which makes everyone flee and everyone a bit nervous. I'm sure it does.
11: <laughs> now, what would you say was the most extreme adventure that you've been involved in?
10: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the row was... Rowing across Atlantic was definitely up there with regards to being isolated and, and being on their own that was that was very much five people getting a boat and they use their power to travel around the globe which i find is you know as a concept is amazing at one point on that ocean row the closest person to us was tim peak up in the space station oh. um, and he, he was he was tweeting as well we were doing it but um i think I think places visiting places like inside the volcano or inside cave systems there and when you're seeing something for the first time and shining your torch across a formation deep in a cave system somewhere in Borneo that to me gives me the thrill of travel the thrill of adventure so it's uh, yeah I feel lucky enough that I've had I've had quite a few of them
11: You're going to keep on doing that are you
10: that's right. I'm um, yeah. I'm forty five now. I plan to keep doing this for as long as I can. That's Good. why I'm in the. That's why I'm in the gym every day. I need to. I'm like. I need to do another twenty years of this. Thirty years of this. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I I plan to to keep doing this. You know, I'm working with Exodus Travels now. I've just curated a list of expeditions that people can actually go on that are similar to the things that I've done before, or ones that. Um, that are on my bucket list um, so you can get that exodus.co.uk forward slash Aldo mm-hmm. For anyone who is interested in doing anything just a little bit more adventurous than what they're doing every day is, is just do the thing that you've been thinking about. If you're thinking about going to climb Snowdon on the weekend then just go and do it. I don't mean flippantly go and, and do it in an unsafe way but it's much easier if you go and try the thing and you know what your shortcomings were and whether it was kit or preparation or whatever. there's there's so many things you can do, but I would say read up a little bit about what it is you want to do, try and find some groups um, that already do that thing, get some training and then and then get out there you'll be amazed at what you can actually
1: achieve. Aldo Kane talking there to Samantha Day earlier this week. If you'd like to read Aldo's list of curated adventures, visit exodus.co.uk forward slash Aldo hyphen Kane. That's exodus.co.uk forward slash Aldo hyphen While you're there, you can also watch Aldo's journey through Botswana's Okavango Delta. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on MeridianFM.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.